Alright, good morning. Good morning, Garden City. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming uh, into this place this morning, bringing the church together. My name is Pastor Brian. If you are new here, a special welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about us and who we are, I'd love to meet you after. I'll be hanging out up front. We've got Annette at the back welcome table who's hanging out. We'd love to just make a connection. But if you're new, uh, thanks so much for coming and being with us this morning. Hey, just a few announcements. Again, it's fall. There's a lot going on. A few things to put out in front of you. And if you walked in, you were probably handed a little handout, and it's got most of these announcements on it. But men's retreat coming up October 13th through the 15th. That's at Camp Carl. It's a local camp about 30 minutes to the east. It's a good time to get the guys together and hang out. So if you're a man and you are among here, you're among us in the body, we'd love to kick it with you October 13th through the 15th. Um, Also, we've got a worship night coming this Friday at 7 p.m. So that will be right here. And we're going to worship just in an extended fashion. So that's going to be happening this Friday. And then next week, uh, we're doing baptism. So if you have never been baptized, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. If if you just recently decided to follow Jesus and have not gone through with that, we'd love to talk to you. Again, Annette's at the back table. I'll be up front uh, here after the service. We'd love to talk to you. Okay. Um, Next thing is uh, I'm going to bring up Kyle and Rosie Shriver. Kyle and Rosie, come on up. Can you guys give Kyle and Rosie a, a mega hand here? As they make their way up. So Kyle and Rosie have been here for probably a year and a half, two years. A little over a year. Okay, my time is way off. Anyway, thanks for correcting me, Rosie. Come on up. Um, And you guys are leading up a venture here. Tell us what what you're doing and how we can participate. So just to introduce ourselves, we're Kyle and Rosie. Um, We've been married about 16 years We've got three kiddos. Grayson here is our oldest. Um, he's 13, <laughs> and he's bigger than me now. But we've got two downstairs as well, Valiant and Ethan. Um, yeah, so good morning. So, yeah, like we said, we've been here a little over a year. And one of the things that made a huge impression was the first week, the first couple of weeks we came Uh, We found Garden City to be one of the warmest, kindest church bodies we have ever had the privilege of um, belonging to. And I, to this day, remember the faces, the people. How many, actually, how many of you guys remember, like, the person you connected with, the person who prayed with you by a show of hands? Does anyone have memories of that? Yes, yes, good. So for me, it was Kristen. I don't know if she's here this morning. That week we had connected with Coach Kemp. It was just a beautiful thing. And so um, we are, in the spirit of that, heading up a a new adventure. I think that was a good way to put it. So I think it's just, um, you know, in that vein, it's it's important to just cultivate that hospitality team to build uh, just a warm and welcoming community. Um, And so I would just say... There's, you know, it really spans like a whole range of things that the hospitality team can can do to build that. Um, so I would just say as we kind of start this new phase in building this team that I would welcome you to just consider, um, you know, joining the team. If you are more logistics or detail-minded, maybe you want to hang out at the connect table and help people find a small group or a Bible study, or if you enjoy the tea and coffee bar, you can help kind of learn how to set that up and tear it down. Um, or you can door greet, and as we just kind of, you know, build this, there's there's all kinds of things to, to really do, so. Yeah, and honestly, it's no experience required, no certain personality type, like Kyle was saying. 
Um, first and foremost, it's just a heart of kindness towards the children of God that find their way in here every Sunday morning. Um, in whatever form, whatever shape, we want to say welcome. And it's not welcome just to this building or these four walls. It's welcome to the family of God. Like God has been waiting for you, and we're honored that you're here. So if that sounds like you, we are going to be back at the Connect table after service. Come say hi, stop in. Uh, even if you want more information or you just want to introduce yourselves, that would be cool. We look forward to meeting you guys. All right. Uh, enjoy the service. Thanks. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Kyle and Rosie. Thanks for heading that up for us. Okay, so we're uh, continuing in our series, Finding Our Place in the Story of God, which is our purpose statement here at Garden City. If you'd like to join us, we'll be in Luke chapter 24. We were there last week. We'll be there again this week. And uh, if, yeah, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can bring it up on your phone or just listen along and we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. But um, here, I want to I open up and, and get our minds moving in the right direction so that we can actually... Um, catch the things that we need to catch in Luke chapter 24 if we're going to find our place in the story of God. So let's go with a physical analogy here just to get our brains working. Um, if, if you desire to find your place in the story of physical fitness, then you're going to have to get accustomed to pain. I'm going to say that one more time. If you would like to find your place in the story of physical fitness, you're going to have to grow accustomed to pain. Does anybody think they know what I mean by that? Just let me, give me a show of hands. Anybody think they understand that? Yes, good. Um, so here's the deal. So, I, so lately, you guys know I've got five kids and all of them are running uh, great distances right now. And so I, I'm spending all of my weekends watching people run. And it's fascinating to me because um, I grew up doing ball sports and like there's training involved and there's all sorts of suffering and pain and difficulty involved in training for ball sports. But there's something different about endurance running. And so as I'm watching these races, like there are times when I am like near moved to tears watching athletes press themselves out on the course, like just enduring and suffering. There are times when like I'm watching people run and like sometimes people are literally crying while they are running because they are experiencing so much physical discomfort as they're going, trying to get air into their lungs, just laboring because their body is depleting their oxygen stores as they press, right, with all of their energy forward to the finish line. There's something inspiring about that, right? And so these endurance runners that I watch, they willingly and voluntarily sign up for massive amounts of physical discomfort and pain in order to get their bodies to the place where they can actually do this thing called endurance racing and do it better. And here's what I've observed. And maybe if, you, if you've ever been around endurance runners, you probably know this. There's a correlation between your willingness to submit your body to pain and suffering and the level of physical fitness that your body is able to achieve. Meaning, those who voluntarily choose to suffer and die to themselves physically 
are also the ones whom you look at and say, holy Toledo, you are in shape, right? There is a correlation there. So, but on the flip side, those who are unwilling to submit their physical bodies to any suffering or pain will also not be able to find themselves in the story of physical fitness. You understand the connection there, right? There's a very real physicality to this that is obvious and it's all around us. It's the elite athletes who are in the most like, optimal shape physically who are the ones who are the most regularly and often suffer and die in their training regimen to get to that point, okay? I just, I just want us to make sure that we understand that principle, right? So now, in a physical way, we're, we're all on the same wavelength. Now let's jump into Luke chapter 24, and there's now, now I think maybe our minds are prepped to see some things as we dig into these verses, maybe that we would have missed. And, side note, all of the disciples are missing, okay? Luke chapter 24, I want us to start in verse 10. Remember, remember last week, we talked about how the women went to the tomb to anoint and spice Jesus' body, expecting to find it dead. It was their plan and their hope to find his dead body so that they could make his death less ugly. Okay? And then when they get there, they find that the, the tomb is empty. And then God shows up with like two angelic warriors of light to say, he's not here, he's risen. Remember, he said he was going to do all this. Okay? So then as soon as that happened, verse 10, here's what happens. Now, um, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So these women leave the empty tomb and they go back to the apostles and say, hey guys, we went to anoint Jesus' body and guess what? He wasn't there. And more than that, two angels showed up and testified that he had risen from the dead. Now verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they, the disciples, the men, did not believe them. They didn't believe them. This is a testimony from women that they have walked with and that they know and that they trust. And they say, we went to the tomb and he wasn't there and angels said he's risen. And this testimony of the women seemed to them an idle tale. Why? Here, and we talked about this last week. Here's why. It seemed to them an idle tale. Because the Messiah, God's promised anointed one who would come and set all things right in this broken, sin-riddled world, that Messiah, the Messiah doesn't come to suffer and die. And because Jesus came, and before our very eyes we witnessed vast amounts of pain and suffering, And because we saw him go to the cross and die a gruesome, horrific death, because we witnessed all of these things with these two eyes and these two ears, therefore, Jesus can't be the Messiah. There is no way he is the one who we hoped that he would be. Because God's Messiah, according to what all the Jewish people at that time thought, God's Messiah is going to come and he's going to walk in prosperity, he's going to walk in victory, he's going to go right to the throne, and he's going to go right to conquering. And then the applause break out, and it's like, it's just a pure and simple path to overcoming and victory. 
That's what the Messiah is going to do. And because that's what all of Jesus' disciples expected of him, when Jesus went in a different direction, he took a different path that involved a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and even his own death in a horrific way. Because Jesus took this turn that they did not expect, the disciples are missing everything that God is doing right now. It is all proverbially going over their heads, even to the point where the women say, we went to the tomb, it's empty, angels showed up and said he'd been resurrected. Nobody is tracking with this. Why? Because he suffered and he died. He's not doing his Messiah thing in the way that they had thought it would be done. In verse 13, right now, here's a new story which is going to essentially like illustrate the same lunacy of the disciples failing to enter into this thing, this story that God is scripting for them. Here we go. Verse 13, Luke 24. That very day, two of them, two of those disciples that the women came and reported, the tomb is empty. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other, and uh, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened to Jesus. And while they were talking and discussing together, catch this, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. But the eyes of the disciples were kept from recognizing him. Now when you first read this, you might mistakenly assume that Jesus is walking with these two disciples. Their eyes were kept or hindered from recognizing him. You might think that maybe God himself is cloaking their vision. Maybe angels are blinding them from seeing the reality that Jesus is walking with them. That is not what this is intending to communicate. What is being communicated here is that there is something inside of the disciples, in their very heart, in their mind, that is preventing their eyes from recognizing that Jesus has just joined them for a hike. They don't see him and they don't recognize him because there's something in them keeping that from happening. Here's what is in them keeping them from recognizing Jesus. One, it's it's a little bit dark, it's getting dusky outside. Number two, Jesus is in his resurrected body, so that's different. But here's the main thing that is keeping them from recognizing Jesus. Jesus suffered and died, therefore he's not the Messiah, and people who suffer and die stay dead. We heard the tomb was empty, okay, I don't know why, something weird's going on, but clearly he's not the Messiah and he hasn't been resurrected. Jesus is still dead, he's not the Messiah. There's no way that Jesus would actually find us here and join us for a hike. It's keeping their eyes from recognizing him. What they are expecting God to do or not do, their expectations on God about how God should do everything is keeping them from seeing the very thing that God is doing right now among them, in front of them. Here he is, but they can't see him. How often, I wonder, is God right among us and with us, but we don't see him? Not because he's not there, but because we have no idea what he is doing because we think he should be doing something else. 
Verse 17. And Jesus said to them, I love this. Jesus says, hey guys, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Simple question. And they stood still looking sad. So the two disciples here are sad. They're, they did an emotional check-in, which is healthy for all of us to do. The disciples would point to the sad, frowny face and say, that's me. We are feeling sad. Question. If the disciples right now were actively finding their place in the story of God, if they knew where they were and when they were, and they knew the circumstances surrounding them, question, is it a time for them to be sad? Or are they missing what's going on here? Because here's what we know is going on. Jesus just, very recently, three days ago, took all of their sin and shame off of them, and he put it upon himself. He carried it on their behalf. And then on the cross, he suffered for their sake, and he died, which is the only way that a sacrifice can be a sacrifice. It has, it has to die. It has to lay itself down for the sake of the other. Jesus just did this for them. Jesus went into death itself, into the tomb, and he, like he said, all right, death, let's, it's go time. Let's do this. And Jesus defeated death, not just for himself, but for them, and burst out of the tomb on the third day, thereby bringing the opportunity for these disciples to walk in resurrection life. The disciples don't understand this, therefore they are sad. If the disciples understood this, they would be, They would be high-fiving, they would be like singing loud, they'd be like shouting from the mountaintops, do you know what the Lord has done for us? Yes! That's what they would be doing if they were actively finding their place in the story of God as it is really unfolding around them. But they're not, and because they're not, they're feeling sad. They think something else is going on that isn't going on. And the thing that is going on, they don't see that it's actually going on. Jesus is walking with them in his resurrected form, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, who purchased their souls, adopted them into the family, who is the giver of life, who is living water, all the things. He's right here. And they're sad. And they can't recognize him. Disciples, this is not a time to be sad. This is a time for joy. But how often do we miss the things that God is doing among us because we think God should be doing something else? And what we think he should be doing is always less than what he is doing. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered Jesus. Right? Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Cleopas answered him, verse 18. I love this. Thank you, Cleopas, for saying this. This is just good narration here. This is good story. Are you, Jesus, he doesn't know it's Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And Cleopas answered back, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests 
and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. What a question. Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know all the things that happened to Jesus? He just lived it. You observed from a distance. You were safe behind the wall of security and safety, peeking over, glimpsing at the things that Jesus was doing. And they say, Jesus, are you unaware of all the things that you just did and how sad that is? How depressing this is? How all of our country is in turmoil because we thought he was the Messiah and he's not now because he suffered and he died. Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't understand this? God, are you the only one who doesn't understand my life and how hard it is and how difficult it is? And are you the only one who doesn't understand why I want you to do this and why I don't, I don't know why you won't do it? Are you the only one, Jesus, who doesn't get it? Well, he's the only one who does get it. Here he is, but we don't see him. Verse 21. But we had hoped... Cleopas continues, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped he was, but he's not, because he suffered, and he went through pain, and he died. Messiahs don't do that. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him, Jesus, his dead body, brutalized and tortured, laying there lifeless, but him they did not see. Still, they are not getting it. Again, they had received the testimony of the women that the tomb was empty and angelic messengers delivered the message. He's not here. He's resurrected. He's not here. You're looking in the wrong place for him. C.S. Lewis would say in Narnia that Aslan is on the move. It's what the women said. Tomb's empty. He's not dead. He's alive. He's out and about. He's loose on the scene. Keep your eyes open because he's moving. Aslan is on the move. But they still don't get it. They're still unable to find their place in the story of God as God is walking in Within 18 inches of them, they can't see it. They can't perceive it. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the person who is complaining that they just can't get in shape physically. 
They go to their new healthcare practitioner and they just complain. I came to you because I thought you would help me get in shape. I thought you were the one who was going to help me figure out my physical fitness and health. And the healthcare practitioner says, are you exercising? And the person says, no. And the healthcare person says, are you changing your diet? Are you eating healthy and not eating bad? And the person said, no, right? And then the healthcare provider would have to say at some point, like, you, you are missing, you're missing everything. You're not seeing things for what they are. I can't do for you the things that you want me to do for you related to physical health unless you were willing to suffer and deprive yourself. That is the path to you getting healthy, right? And in the same way, God is laying out a path of life here for us. And yes, it involves Jesus' suffering. Yes, it involves his pain. Yes, it involves his death. But we have to see that and understand that before we can look at Jesus on the cross and say, he's doing it. Yes, it's happening right now. This is the script. This is why he came for this purpose, for our redemption, for our life. He's doing it. Thank you, Jesus. But they can't do that. Instead, they say, oh, no. Sad, sad, sad. He's not the one. How often we miss. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, thank you. It's time for Jesus to speak now. We've heard enough of the disciples. Thank you, Cleopas, for your assessment on what's going on. Now let's hear from Jesus. And here's what he says. Oh, foolish ones. Don't hear Jesus being critical or harsh. Hear him like, oh, guys. Oh, please. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Check this. The prophets have spoken. You know the prophets. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? You read that again. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the coming king, yeah, the one who would sit on a throne, yeah, the one who would conquer and lead the world into flourishing and righteousness, all, yeah, was it not necessary that this king should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Jesus taught them when he was alive that he would suffer and die, and then rise again. He showed them the path. At that, we know, Peter said, no, Jesus, you're not going to do that. Peter rebukes Jesus. That's not what the Messiah does. Jesus says, it is, you'll catch it later. But they're not able to see it. But Jesus taught them when he was alive, he would suffer and die, and then rise. And what Jesus did is exactly what he said. He suffered, he died, and then he rose. And then the women reported, hey guys, there's an empty tomb. Angels came and appeared to us. And right now, Cleopas and your friend, whoever you are, Jesus is talking with you. Aslan's on the move. And he just so happens to be walking and talking with you. But the great stumbling block that continues to keep their eyes from seeing Jesus and all the things that God has just done and is now doing among them, the stumbling block is suffering and pain and death. In their minds, that is not how God accomplishes his kingdom 
come and his will being done. That is not how heaven comes to earth, suffering, pain, and death. That is not the pathway, God, to you moving here. The pathway to you moving is fun and victory and overcoming and straight to the throne. Straight to the throne, no issues, no problems, no difficulty. Verse 27. And beginning, Jesus continues, Jesus is talking. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, would you not love to receive that teaching? If we had that podcast, would we not be listening to it right now? But what Jesus does is he goes through the whole story of the Old Testament and he shows them how it is all pointing straight to him. But the emphasis of what he is pointing to, because they all knew the Old Testament, but the parts that they were missing was verse 26. Was it not necessary that the coming king should suffer? That's what they missed in all of the Old Testament. That in suffering and in death, the Messiah would bring God's life to his fallen and broken people. That's the part that they totally and utterly missed. Then fast forward a little bit. We're going to go to verse 30. Jesus is walking with them. Jesus pretends like he's going to keep walking. These two disciples get to their destination and they say, to Jesus not knowing who it is. Hey, you got to come hang out with us. It's too late. It's late. Thank you for your teaching. But would you come and eat dinner with us and may, you can spend the night. We'll show you hospitality this evening. Okay? So Jesus stays with them. And then this is what happens as they're at the table in the house together. When Jesus was at the table with them, verse 30, Jesus took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened And they finally recognized him. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. Finally something happens. It's like the key goes into the lock and turns it. And the door opens. And it's like, holy Toledo, Jesus, you're here. It's you. Whoa. They'd just been hanging out with him for a long time. Seven mile walks, a good distance. Been together, a lot of teaching going on, a lot of hanging out, a lot of talking. They missed it all. But something happened in this moment that allowed them to see him and to recognize him. Here's what happened. Jesus took bread and he broke it. And that was the key to tear down the veils from their eyes that kept them from recognizing him. Now, I don't know if you have a special way of breaking bread at mealtime. I probably have a way of breaking bread. Jesus had a way of breaking bread that was unique. But what's going on here is it's more than just like hanging out and like taking a loaf of bread and distributing it. Because remember, right before Jesus died, he was in the upper room with his disciples. And what did he do? He took bread and he broke it. And he said, hey guys, This is my body broken for you. But they don't know what that means because that's not a part of their story regarding what the Messiah does. The Messiah's body doesn't get broken. But whatever, Jesus, with some metaphorical lesson, whatever, we'll see. Just get to the throne now. Jesus says, no, no, this is my body broken 
for you. And the bread literally like starts shredding. He's shredding bread and he's distributing it to the disciples. And he says, now guys, in the future, take this bread, which is a symbol of my shredded pain, suffering, riddled body, and take it unto yourselves to remember what I have done for you. My suffering, my death, my pain, in order to bring you back to life. And similarly, he pours out the cup, right? My blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. This is why I have come. So when Jesus shreds this bread, now they're like, oh, no way! That's the communion thing! That's, that's what you were trying to tell us. And what? Like, like their mind is exploding. You did it. You, you literally, you did the breaking bread thing. It happened on the cross. And all these things start to make sense to them. In the context of Jesus saying, here's the whole Old Testament. And here's how God is showing that suffering and pain and death and suffering and pain and death is going to be the pattern that the Messiah is going to walk in. And that's the only way that God could bring life into your death. That's the only way that it could be done. And finally, that breaking of the bread is the key that like, the scales just fall off of their eyes. And they, wow, we get it now. And I guarantee you, in this moment right now, they were sad. They were, they were sad because they were finding their place in their own story. And their own story was, Jesus, you're going to the throne and you're going to make us awesome again. That story didn't play out, so they're sad. But the gracious invitation that Jesus keeps calling them into is what he is doing. And he points out to them what he has done. In his resurrected form. And now their sadness has melted away. Because they get it. And now it's the, it's the appropriate time for joy and celebration and awe and wonder and reverence. Right? Same people. Separated by one second. But now they're entering into what God is doing. They're walking in his story. And that has become the game changer. Verse 32. Remember, Jesus, they recognize him and that Jesus vanishes immediately. Aslan's on the move. Don't try to control him. But he, he's loose and good things are going on. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And they, the disciples, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They just made the hike out of Jerusalem. It's a long way. Now they're so excited. They're up out of the table and they're heading right on back. And my guess is their trip back to Jerusalem was way faster than their trip out. Because now they're not sad. They are overjoyed. And they got news to deliver. And they found, this is why they went back to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying... The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. Then, verse 35, then they told what had happened to them on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the what? In the breaking of bread. The shredding of the bread reminded them that, oh, this is why he has come, to be broken on our behalf. If we do not have an understanding of suffering and pain and how that fits into everything that God is doing, 
we will never rightly understand nor be able to perceive that which God is doing, even if God is standing 18 inches from you right now. And remember Jesus said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. He is. He's right here. He's actually living inside of me. If you have received the gift of Jesus, he's living inside of you. But it doesn't matter. If we don't understand pain and suffering, we will never comprehend what he has done for us and what he is doing among us. Or let me put it this way. We cannot find Jesus in the story of God. We won't be able to see him even if he's right there, fresh off the cross, fresh out of the tomb. We won't be able to see Jesus in the story of God until we first understand pain and suffering and death and its role in Jesus in the story. And similarly, we will never be able to find our place in the story of God unless we likewise understand the requirements for us dying to ourselves and taking up our cross and following him in the manner with which he came. I think sometimes we want to walk in our destiny. We want to walk in all the things God has for us. God, we want your best. I want my best life now. God, you give it to me now. But we're just like the disciples who didn't understand that Jesus had to come and suffer and die. And similarly, we have to do the same thing. We will never walk in our destiny, whatever you think that means. So the disciples are all together in Jerusalem. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And they're celebrating together. And now they have a renewed sense for how his kingdom will come and how his glorious reign will bear out on planet earth. And then this is what's shortly to come here in the next several decades. Here it is. Eleven of the twelve apostles will die as martyrs. Walk into my destiny, my best life now. Woo! There it is. Eleven of the twelve apostles will die as martyrs. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, will suffer regularly everywhere he goes. John will be exiled to Patmos to live out his days by himself. Persecution in just a couple of chapters here in the book of Acts is going to break out on the early church and they're going to have to scatter for their very lives. What's coming? Pain, suffering, death. And if we don't understand this early church, they're never going to find their place in the story of God. They're always going to be wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you doing all the things I want you to do? Where's my upgrade? Why can't I get the nice car? I just keep praying about it. Where is it? And Jesus is right here. And he's saying, yeah, I got some stuff for you, but you can't see it. You can't perceive it because you don't have eyes. What I want you to do right now is I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. That's what I want you to do. You want to find your place in what I'm doing? You got to die daily in order to see what I'm doing or you can't walk in it. Jesus says, I want you to lose your life. I don't like to lose. Do you? No, no one does. Jesus says, you got to lose what you think your life 
was supposed to be all about. And only then can you find the life that I have come to give you. That's the only way this thing works. But it's the only, all of these things only make sense coming from a crucified, tortured, brutalized, and risen King Jesus. He can say these things to us because this is what he does and this is what he did. You want to find your place in God's story, get ready to lose. We lose, God's kingdom breaks out. We suffer and God becomes more presently known among us. That is the path. Now, I just got to say, all the qualifiers here. You guys ready for some qualifiers? Because this is the day we, I just got to make sure, I don't want anybody sending me any emails or being confused about this, right? Do we need to have boundaries with people? Yes, we do. Um, Do we need to take care of ourselves in every manner, emotionally, physically, relationally? Yes, we absolutely need to take care of ourselves. Is it appropriate for us to distance ourselves from toxic people? Yes, absolutely. We, we need to do all of these things. Yes, we walk in wisdom. All, yes, all the qualifiers that need to be said, just assume that they were said. And still, we have to suffer and die to ourselves in order to find our place in what he is doing. Until we get that, we can't and we will not see him, period. Even when he's right here with us. Talking and walking among us. It's all going over our head. Missing it all. Band, come on back up. And I just just want to point out that this principle of pain and suffering and death and then life... God, in his grace, has positioned reminders of this all around us. It's 10 a.m. right now. We've got a young woman from our church who is in the hospital laboring to bring a child into this world. Here's what I know to be true. She's going to get to the end of herself. She's going to go through some pain and some suffering, and she's going to feel emotionally and physically Like she is ready to die. And I know that because I've witnessed five of these things called births. She's going to get to that place of death. And only then will life burst forth. And the baby goes, and it's all worth it. Oh, it's so worth it. But you can't get to the without all of the things that come before it. This is God's pattern and it is his plan. You cannot get to the place where you stand on the victor's podium until you have poured all of yourself out on the course of the endurance race in front of you. You can't stand up there. You will never feel the, feel the exhilaration of, I did it, it is finished, it is accomplished, yes! You will never feel that exhilaration until you pour yourself out on the field of athletic competition. It is all around us. The reminders of what it is that God has destined to put in front of us to bring us to the place of resurrection life. And Jesus is the iconic one who did it for us. He did it for us. And he invites us into following him 
in it. Laying our lives down is how we pick it up. So church, I just want to say we're going to struggle. We're not going to do a darn thing. We're not going to become a fully alive community of people. We're not going to impact the world around us. We're not going to grow personally until like the disciples, we catch this. And only then are we positioned to see him and to hear him and to understand what he's doing and join him in it. But that's his invitation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are the suffering and dying one who did this for us to bring us into new life. Jesus, you, uh, as, as the endurance race runner, you ran the most enduring race with the most obstacles laid out, and you did it, you did it for us. And you died, and you poured everything out, you let it all out, and you suffered through all of it because you loved us, and you, know that was the, you knew that was the only way that we could walk in new life. Thank you for doing that on our behalf. There's nothing that we can do to contribute any more to what you have already done. And so we just simply say thank you and we receive your work on our behalf. And now, Father, I pray that as your spirit animates us from the inside out, that you would make us those who take up our cross and who lay our lives down to just simply be able to follow you in your footsteps so that you can do among us and through us all the things that you want to do that cannot be done unless we follow you in this manner of living. But this has got to come from you. And so we just position our hearts to receive and we say, yes, yes, Lord, do what you will among us. Resurrection life is our motto. And we will follow you into all the things that are required to get there. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.